No more defenses. Our army is wiped out. Artillery, air force, everything wiped out. This may be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end. Hello and welcome to Media and the End of the World. This is Ralph Balavo. Uh Adam Kroon will be back to join us shortly. He's uh, away having a lot more fun than we are here at the precipice of the end times, but we'll survive okay. Uh, I have a special guest today. We're going to be talking about the Academy Awards and all of the hoopla surrounding that. Uh, the guest today is Catherine Jensen-White, who will be speaking to us uh, from the uh, deep, dark East Coast that's buried in... Are you buried in snow right now, Catherine? Well, we're, we're, we're more than dusted. We're not exactly buried, but we're definitely more than dusted. Uh-huh, that's good. It's, it's, uh, it's, it builds character. So it's, It does. Oh, my God. If I have had character building beyond belief yeah. in the two years I've lived here. So Catherine is a professor emerita from uh, here in the Gaylord College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Oklahoma, and she is the founder of the Oklahoma Film Critics Circle, and she's written about film. She and I have actually taught together, which was a, a great experience. We were uh, collaborated on a class on documentary and had a number of great documentary filmmakers come in to visit and show their stuff and talk about it. So we have that link, but, but uh, uh, much of Catherine's interest, of course, ranges into the narrative fiction world, which is where the Academy Awards count. Because the, I'm sad to say, Catherine, I think you'd agree that the documentary part is unfortunately kind of shoveled off to the side a little bit. It is, although I think getting the attention that the documentaries get does help a little bit with the only thing that really matters about the Academy Awards, if we're going to be honest, and that's box office enhancement. You know, that's that's the case, I think, uh, although it, it clearly doesn't always pick the most popular documentaries or those that are most deserving, even with, and we can talk about the way that it was revised by Michael Moore, the process for nomination, etc. But yeah, it, it, it's always shoved slightly to the side, although I think you and I would agree that it is the most interesting genre in all film out there right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. So what was the Michael Moore thing? Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, in 2012, because so many great films had been snubbed, uh, had been left out because of the really Byzantine rules for getting nominated, Michael Moore rewrote the whole rule book on how to get films into nomination. So uh, the specifics are, I don't think, particularly interesting, but it did open it up and allow more films to get in. Uh, do you remember uh, in 94 when Hoop Dreams, perhaps one of the greatest documentaries of all times, um, Hoop Dreams was uh, ignored, and it had to do with the way that films could be nominated. So anyway, they, they, they in response to that, and Grizzly Man was never nominated, The Thin Blue Line wasn't nominated. I mean, some of the films that are sort of the core of classic documentary uh, were not nominated, so Moore rewrote the rule book. And it's been better, I think, since then. More films have gotten in. Although this year's nominations, holy moly, they left out the best. Yes, <laughs> I would agree with that. And I think, what, what film do you have in mind? Well, the two that I thought were the best and that film critics and all the film critics end of year voting have definitely placed at the top of the list were um, Won't You Be My Neighbor and um, the Mr. Rogers biopic. And also, Three Identical Strangers. 
very exciting. And, and, you know, I have to say, I love Ruth Bader Ginsburg and watching her face and watching her do exercises and pull out her various collars. That was amazing in um, RBG. But it's a very pedestrian, straightforward, traditional documentary. Nothing particularly exciting or moving about it. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I think it was, I mean, stylistically speaking, it was a fairly straightforward presentation of the story they were trying to tell. And, yeah. You know. And, that, I mean, nothing even, nothing that we always, I think, look for in any of these films, nothing of a surprising nature. I, I mean, what happened... If you, if you, I think if you look at Won't You Be My Neighbor, it's also very, it, it's, it's not dramatically exciting. You know, it's not like Walt with Bashir. Am I, saying, am I, I forget, I'm not saying that quite right. But, um, you know, amazing, it doesn't have amazing use of animation or this. But the emotional arc of that film and what he starts with, the image of King Friday the 13th building a wall and demanding that they wall off part of the world so that their kingdom will be better resonated so much and was such a powerful uh, opening to that film that by the end of it, we were all sobbing, even if we hadn't been um, Mr. Rogers fans, and I wasn't always my son particularly, because it was such a look at where we are today and that image of building the wall I just it, I thought it was a brilliant choice for that film. It changed everything that came after. Yeah, what I th one of the things that I thought was really powerful about it was its integration of sort of like what you know the standard images we've seen of Mister Rogers either in the show or his congressional testimony, and then him swimming. You know, exactly. <laughs> and it was, and you know, also under, making us understand what was behind <laughs> some of those things. You know, I know that I probably had seen the image uh, of the postman and Mister Rogers taking off their shoes and putting them in the waiting pool together. However, did I ever in my world before this film think about that as a direct slap in the face to segregated swimming pools? I didn't. I mean, I, I thought that the, that the way that it helped us understand exactly how groundbreaking he was, even though you could kind of write him off as smarmy, you know, cardigan-wearing guy, you know, he, he looks like father knows best, you know, one of the worst, you know, worst kind of traditional 50s and 60s sitcoms. And yet he was breaking so many barriers. So why do you think the film was snubbed? I think it's really bizarre. I don't know. I've, I've looked. I've tried to figure it out. Why would, I mean, I think it won every single um Every single critic's choice, you know, I, I, I don't know, Ralph, I, I wish I could say maybe people thought of it as being just another sentimental biopic. But to me, RBG was much more a sentimental biodoc, mm -hmm. not biopic, biodoc, than was that one, because this one showed, I don't know, maybe Morgan Neville has pissed people off. I don't know. You know, I have no clue how the the wine. Who who knows how it works? Yeah, I really I, yeah, that's part of the mystery. Is once you get inside, and of course we don't. You know, well, you know, I don't anyway participate in it, so I don't really know sort of the range of choices. What I do see that's kind of interesting, and um, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but the amount of money that's put into trying to secure uh, the attention of the Academy and uh, vehicles like the Hollywood Reporter is, is staggering. Oh, yeah. 
But, you know, it's not even it's it, like if you look at what we get as critics, we I mean, obviously, I get screeners so I can make a, an informed choice. And when I lived in Oklahoma, as you know, it was incredibly difficult to make an informed choice without screeners because we have such there uh, an absence of access to films that aren't mall movies. You know, I mean, that's it's very tough to find them. Um, and so I spent a lot of time going to Dallas and when I went to New York or any place else trying to go to art houses there to, you know, to try to stay ahead or caught up. But the screeners really help. So they spend a lot of money on screeners. You should see the book I got for Roma. It, it was an astonishing thing. Um, it, I, I mean, it, it was probably, a, I don't know, a $200 coffee table book uh, about the making of that making of that film. Um, so, yes, lots of money. Mm-hmm. Netflix is willing to spend a whole lot because obviously it's trying to buy its way into the legitimate distribution process of uh, Academy uh, honored films. Right, which is, you know, part and parcel of kind of the history of this because the Academy Awards were originally a promotional device anyway. So it's, right. it's you know, it's part of the whole thing. What was the other snub you were thinking of besides Mr. Rogers? Oh, my God, Three Identical Strangers. Three Identical Strangers, yeah. What about that? What do you think was the case with that? Again, I have no clue because it got, I saw it for the first time at the San Francisco Film Festival last April, and it blew people away. And then it started getting all kinds of great buzz on the festival circuit. It obviously didn't have the box office, but it had some box office. Um, And I think Rogers, by the way, uh, was the top grossing, I'm going to look that up as we talk, but I think it was the top grossing documentary, even more than RBG of last uh, year. I'm not sure about that, but I think I'm right. So I don't know. I know that it had some box office. I know that people were blown away by it. Um, but again, who can, who understands the mysteries of those voters and what they're doing. I, I just, I don't quite get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, and there's this really strange thing happening now, of course, and it affects documentary really more than narrative fiction, but that's having an effect too, which is how we get access to and how this material is being produced and distributed. What's, exactly. you know, whether it's a traditional company or one of the up-and-comers in the kind of the digital realm. Yeah, yeah, and that's going to make a huge difference. So I'm looking now at the list, and Won't You Be My Neighbor was... Uh, number one, and it grossed almost $23 million, which for, as you know, for a documentary is pretty amazing. RBG was number two with $14 million, Three Identical Strangers, three with 12 and the fourth, which is also a super good film and has a strong chance of winning, I think, uh, Free Solo, which had an $11 million mm-hmm. uh, box office. Yeah, I'm looking so. at the all-time. That puts them all on the all-time list, too. Like, yeah. Won't You Be My Neighbor is number 12 on the all-time list. You know, following yeah, so isn't that weird? Uh, following a lot of uh, Michael Moore films, and then 2016 Obama's America. Exactly, those are the ones that take the top. It's so true. I mean, oh my God, talk about talk about uh, polarization. Yeah, the documentary film list is the is the epitome of polarization. Yeah, yeah. We should use that as like the marker of where the country is going. You, uh-huh. know? you, could, you could measure it just on that list. Um, but Free Solo, back to that, is really a good film, and it's quite 
gripping, pun intended, um, gripping in terms of not only its look at this very interesting central character, but also the cinematography of the, that ascent. You know, he, he ascends El Capitan with nothing, just his fingers and these tiny little, uh, this little bag of, uh, I don't know if it's, I never know whether it's rosin or resin, but whatever he's got in his <laughs> bag in the back. Rosin, is that right? Is that I think, yeah, that sounds it? right. Yes. And then um, I think resin is what you seal insects in, right? Yeah, that's it? exactly right. That's like Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. not, not free solo. Never mind. Amber. Uh-huh, and, right. Uh, amber. So, yeah, he um, it, it, and it's beautifully shot. And that was a film that was um, shot by a woman. Um, I was quite distressed that Shirkers, another great documentary, I thought, and much very interesting, which was shot by a woman that didn't make it in. Um I don't know. It's it's just so hard to so hard to talk about what these weird people in the weird bubble of Hollywood and the industry uh, have in mind when they vote. Yeah, the one that caught uh, that caught my attention was Minding the Gap, which is another one of the. So there are uh, five films nominated: Free Solo and RBG, which we've talked about a little bit, Hale County this morning, this evening, of Fathers and Sons, and then Minding the Gap. Right. Uh, and uh, just because Minding the Gap was a little bit reminiscent, um, you know, of that kind of durational documentary where it's shot over a really long period of time. And it's, right. and it's a really clever investigation, I think, or display of sort of like the, the terms of masculinity that people grew up in, you know, sort of in, in flyover, you know, old industrial America. Right. Um, and it seemed yeah, very familiar. Via, via skateboarding and, uh, yeah, that whole, I mean, it sounds really as if it certainly be des- will certainly be deserving. And I think it's probably, I don't know, I think, I guess RBG will take it, not mining the gap. What do you think, RBG? I, yeah, you know, it's really hard to say. The, the, uh, now, they just ran uh, Hale County on... Um, um, Oh, Independent Lens this past oh, Monday. Yeah. Yes, um, I have not seen it yet. What did you think? It's, Is it good? Well, it's it's a very interesting film. It's very um, uh, there. It's very unstructured. There's no narration. There are some intertitles to identify people, and they have kind of a poetic thing to it. Um, right. And the and the filming is very kind of self conscious in a way. It doesn't reference itself as a documentary, but you get a lot of uh, shots from interesting angles and things like that. But the portrait of the community inside of it is actually quite beautiful. I mean, it's it's just it covers a, a, a lot of a range of human experience, um, a lot of stuff with you know kids growing up, some tragedy, a lot of you know a lot of happiness, a lot of just life as it goes. Um, Were and, any of the others other than? Free Solo. I don't know. Are there any other women directors? I should have checked that. In the, I, I don't know whether there are any other women directors in the uh, documentary category. I'm not sure about that. I don't. I don't believe. I'm kind so. of thinking no. I'm kind of thinking that that is not the case. But I'm not going to 100 percent come down on that. I know that that there were lots of women who were. Uh, ignored this year for yeah. director who well, were great. Right, RBG obviously, and then half a free solo, right? Because there are right, two exactly, directors right. listed. Half right. a free solo and mm-hmm. RBG. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, mm-hmm. I forgot who directed RBG. I totally forgot that. Yeah. Who is it? Betsy West and Julie Cohen. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, I totally forgot. Okay, so we've got one and a half. One and a half out of five. That's 1.5 out of five. That's not too bad. Right. Um, But the other, I mean, Sandy Tan was Shirkers, and she didn't make it in. 
um, which I kind of thought, because again, that is a very interesting documentary. The story's cool, and the the way that she does it is much more imaginative and um, kind of playing around with all the tropes and the conventions that we've seen so much exciting stuff happen in the past, but the ones that are in there this year, to me, at least the ones I've seen, I haven't seen them all, um, didn't really do that. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, but the other women, can we talk about those a little bit? Sure. Really bumped me out. Yeah. So I really thought Leave No Trace was a great film, and uh, Deborah Granick, you know, directed it. Um, she's the one who did Winner's Bone in 2010, mm-hmm. and uh, that film with Ben Foster and a young woman, Thomason Mackenzie, that was great. Uh, veteran uh, PTSD impact of that on his life and then uh, his daughters because he's a single parent of, of a young woman who's now a teenager and he's raised her you know, from the beginning. And that, that's a great film. And she didn't get Marielle Heller. Uh, I thought Can You Ever Forgive Me was a superb film. Melissa McCarthy's great. I love Richard E. Grant. I honestly like Richard E. Grant's performance better. Well, no, I can't. I'm not even going to say because I, I have not seen I have not seen Green Book, but I love Richard E. Grant's performance. Yeah, I haven't seen Green Book yet, and don't know if I will. And then um, Lynn Ramsey, who did You Were Never Really Here, not a film I would see because Joaquin Phoenix and a Hammer. <laughs> not, not, not doing that. Those are those are those are your your clear invitation for let's watch no, this no, movie. No, no, no. No, those I might see with you because you, you and uh, your beloved are both lovers of films that have stuff in them that I have to close my eyes and right. hide behind the pillow to watch. Yeah, so. we should probably state there's a there's a pretty clear difference. I would I would definitely classify classify myself as an addict of any horror film, no matter how yeah. sort of off the rails it is, and and that ain't you. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah that's not a horror film. Yeah. That's a that's a horrible. Yeah. idea but it, yeah and it could be really great and then um uh chloe Zhao, who did the writer and i thought the writer was interesting in its you know mashup of documentary right i mean she uses this real guy brady Janot, to tell his story real story but fictionally and uh, it, uh, it it it's an interesting film you know i have a, i thought it sort of sentimentalized the rural uh, reality in a way that having lived in it in Oklahoma, I didn't find acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> you mean it wasn't all like charm and smiles, huh? So. Yeah, well, it was all charm and smiles. <laughs> it was like the gritty cowboy who's, you know, just a good guy altogether. And I don't know, especially today, that's a very dangerous path to go down that uh, nostalgic sentimentalizing of the code of the West and the I don't know. I I had some issues with it, but still, it was you know she was she did a, a very good film and an interesting film. So yeah, I think you know I find I find the the uh, the idea of contemporary westerns really compelling. Um, yeah. Seen quite a few films that 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 do this kind of recontextualization of kind of contemporary America as a reflection of sort of all the codes and practices and all of that of a traditional western, and they work really yeah, well. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So, so here's. And let me ask you. My, this is always my big. Every time that any of the award season things roll around, I think it's. I, and and you you can tell me how nuts I am, but I think it's really strange to maintain categories of men and women separately. What do you think about yeah. that? Oh God, that is the hardest question ever because you know we've really in our vocabulary, for example, we refer to actor. 
in a uh, you know uh, in a supporting role who's a female actor who in a supporting role who's a male. But of course, the Academy still has actor and actress, and I don't like it except that I fear so desperately that if that ground carved out is given away, that the five nominated would not represent you know, would not represent appropriately. I mean, don't you think that's a danger of doing away with it? That's the part that worries me. Well, you know, I mean, I think there's issues that come up. One is that that is a little bit more kind of obvious in a way is that it's the binary, right? And so anything that, that varies from that binary is is problematic. Of course, this isn't yes. really as much of a problem because, I mean, honestly, one of the things I think we both admit is that despite the progressive politics of Hollywood in a lot of ways, it's really, really slow to respond to some of these cultural issues. Oh, absolutely. I mean, all you have to do is look at the numbers for that. Um, the uh, Annenberg Inclusion Initiative, which just came out, is horrifying. You know, when you look at the percentage, this was a big year for a representation of African Americans and of Asians in one film, <laughs> with, with which, by the way, one of its uh, stars, I believe, or someone uh, said, it'll be great when we're noted for a film that doesn't have the word Asian in the title. Right. <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it. And one could also one could also talk about Black Klansmen in the same, you know, although that's exactly. that, that's being so ironic and twisty. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love that film. And, and honestly, to jump, I hate to jump around so much, but you know how our conversations range uh, associatively rather than uh, logically. Um, I I would love to see Spike Lee win something. I mean, win an Academy Award. He is a great director and he has done amazing films and he has been so ignored, which is not to take away from who's obviously going to win it. You know, Quaron, I understand. <laughs> but, oh, God, it so bugs me that he has not been given any of the recognition that he deserves. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? <laughs> I think the reason is the same reason we're talking about is yeah. coded language all over. That the makeup, although the uh, the uh, motion uh, picture of the Academy itself has tried to has tried to open its membership up to include more people of color and women to get better representation in the nomination process and the voting. Um, it's still sadly that. And, and Lee has pissed people off. You know, Lee has said hard stuff and he's he's said it, you know, standing on stages as well as using the images and metaphors he uses in his film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that part of the challenge that people face with his work is that, you know, it, um, in Black Klansman, I think he has, you know, he once again, he introduces kind of a vocabulary of storytelling that is very unique. Like, you always tell when, you know, he's the, the way he constructs a story and the way he decides to put the pieces together and the, sort of the way he negotiates the relationship between character and incident and things like that. There's a very strong feeling, and to me it's always been very emotionally powerful. Uh, but it's, fair, it's, it's fairly unique, and that, that could be something that maybe people have a little bit more of a difficult time with. And, and in, a, in the same way, like you're suggesting, it's him not conforming to some of the traditional tropes of storytelling. He's not a sentimentalist, right? No, not at <laughs> all. And he, he's not into this, you know, and, and by the way, I just want to say before I forget it, because, you know, words come and go in my head, that dolly shot he puts into everything to me is one of the most powerful. It's, it's so much more powerful than Alfred Hitchcock 
<laughs> dropping in. I mean, he he puts his stamp on every film with that, and it always has such a powerful meaning and moment, you know. And I I love that. But but yeah, he he is a great director, and he is grossly. Uh, overlooked, and I think you asked me a specific question, but I was so focused on my dolly shot comment that I forgot what. Oh no, that's was. okay. No, just about his okay. his particular film grammar and things like that, which I think is really interesting. Oh, yeah. So you kind of yeah, tip your hand about who you think is the you think there's a lock for the director, huh? I do. I think so. And you know, I I, I honestly believe that Roma is a masterpiece. I and and it won both best film and best film not in the English language at BAFTA. And while I don't think the Academy will go there, I think it has a very good shot of being the first non-English language film to win Best Picture. Uh, I kind of don't think they're going to just give it the um, Best Foreign Language Film. I think Cold War has a really good shot of winning that, although I had some I, – I, I didn't – I wasn't as moved by that as I wanted to be. I loved Ida. Uh, the uh, uh, other film by uh, the man whose name I honestly cannot remember right now as I look at it, uh, Pavel, excuse me, Pavel Pavlikowski. Mm-hmm. Thank God I can look it up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I so yeah, I think it's going to win Best Film, and he's going to win Best Director. It's interesting that in the director nominees, there's only two Americans. Yeah, I think isn't that's that a, yeah. And the other thing interesting is that there's not a Best Directoress. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah. your point. There, there's that. Yeah. Point. <laughs> but I think that the reason that I could list all those women, you know, who didn't, who didn't win, I, I don't know. Don't, it's, you know, it's so that, that that word you just said, just I, I just I flashed on this like little science fiction future where the Academy decides to be really smart and actually have a best directorist category, and it's a <laughs> it's a nightmare. <laughs> Right up there with the most popular film category. Right, yeah. Yeah, what a brilliant idea that was. Which which managed to survive only, I think it was less than 48 hours yeah, before yeah. The, the the tsunami avalanche, you know, right. grand rush of, are you out of your mind? Well, I mean, the nice thing about that is you could probably defer that decision off to either Box Office Mojo or Rotten Tomatoes, right? right. So just let the algorithm decide. Well, here's what they need to do. They need to get to have it be a sponsored award, and then one of those two could do it. Oh, yeah. And it would be awesome. They could the academy could make some money, and uh-huh. they could get there. That they need to they need to be honest because honestly, again, as we've sort of referenced in many ways as we've been talking, this is it doesn't mean jack. This doesn't mean anything. It just means you know who we, we infuse it with meaning about quality. But I really don't think that that's primarily what it is. The words prestige, the words box office, the words popularity, the words friendship, those are all part of the voting mix, I think. And so, you know, what are we really saying? Yeah, it's it's like with other you know, it's other comparable award ceremonies. The Grammys just recently happened, and, you know, that's always a kind of a, a train wreck of, you know, what, what kinds of music that people seem to be paying attention to and, again, what falls off the radar, you know, yeah, which exactly. being a little bit of a jazz fanatic is always interesting to me, but but not a, never a surprise. Uh, and I'll but, say, you know, it's, here's the thing about the music that's different from film. You can actually hear easily. You can hear esoteric, unusual, off-the-radar kinds of music 
Well, you, it is hard for people to see many of the films that are the greatest films of a year, you know, which is why I love Netflix. And I'm like, you go, Netflix, yeah. change the way. Yeah, one thing I'll, I'll do, you know, just to mention for people who are interested, um, I don't know how widespread it's become, but there's a, a film service called Canopy that mm -hmm. has become available, and uh, it's both available here at the University of Oklahoma, uh, but it's also available through the Pioneer Library System, which includes a lot of the public libraries in the area, um, which means that basically any patron of the public library can have access to a really deep, broad um, collection of films, including a really large number of Criterion Collection films. So, Which just shut down its streaming service, but there's going to be a new one called... Filmstruck, is that right, I think, where, you know, because Criterion was streaming for a couple of years. Yeah, Filmstruck, I just, I just checked. Mm -hmm. um, so those films will also be available on that streaming service, if not completely available through libraries and uh, mm -hmm. Uh, other ways that are cheaper. <laughs> yeah, the the yeah the only the, the 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 thing with the library access that I noticed is that you can only watch six films a month through the service. But right. again, sort of my even doing that through that service because the number of other things we have available is, you know, it's it's a challenge. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, it is a challenge. Well, so can we talk a little bit about those four big categories? Sure. Actor, absolutely. Actor, man, actor, woman. <laughs> Actor-supporting man, actor-supporting woman. I, I like those a lot better. I think we should call them actor man and actor woman. <laughs> and make them, wear, make them wear Lycra tights and exactly. capes. Exactly. It gives it a kind of superhero sort of approach that I like a whole lot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those categories are going to be interesting. I, of course, in actor woman, want uh, Glenn Close to win. Okay. I really want her to win, uh -huh. even though I loved Olivia Coleman in The Favorite. And Yalitza Aparicio in Roma is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I'm sorry. I'm sort of, it's sort of like voting for Hillary. Let her in there. Flip <laughs> <laughs> close. Let her in there. She's such a fine actor. I mean, what do you think? I, yeah, I mean, I think that it seems like uh, based on what's happened in the, in the recent past, I'd say she has a good chance. Yeah, I think it's it's a real possibility. I, you know, Lady Gaga was the better of the two leads in A Star Is Born, but that film, to me, although greatly entertaining, was so cliched. And and again, how can you not have everything old when it's been made four times? Yeah, that's true. You know, where, where do you find the surprise factor in there, except when Gaga opens her mouth and sings? Well, I mean, that's the best. one can only hope they're already working on a reboot. <laughs> have you noticed that the time between reboots with spider-man is getting shorter and shorter yes it's like every other week right and i'm thinking that lady gaga uh, a star is born the lego movie that'd be good yeah. <laughs> oh. how about roma the lego movie that would be good why not <laughs> only the black and white legos right. would be cool. yeah yeah you can save a lot of money that way it'd be a lot cheaper because you wouldn't have to buy all the different colors so okay well let's really yeah let's talk about actors Okay. Actor man. <laughs> so who's your, what, 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 what's your take on this? Man, I, again, I feel about Will, Willem Dafoe the way I feel about Glenn Close. Let him in, and I thought he was great in At Eternity's Gate. I, I just, I, I don't know. Christian Bale, that performance is astonishing. Except that, you know, it's so arch. It's so what it is. But he, he infuses it with, with a reality that, I don't know. I'd, I'd be fine with Christian Bale. I'd be fine with Willem Dafoe. I don't think Bradley is 
going to do it now. I think for a while they thought he might sneak in that way. I have not seen either, although I have the screener for, but I haven't seen Bohemian Rhapsody. Queen wasn't one of my, you know, go-to music groups, and uh, but it's supposed to be a great performance. Really? Was there something about Tie Your Mother Down that bothered you? or what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what stopped me. <laughs> Queen, you know, and actually, I mean, I have to admit, Queen was a fairly significant part of my upbringing because of the time when things came out, because they were just doing like you know really edgy, kind of edgy stuff, but it was somehow like had this enormous commercial success. I, I I'm I've always been enamored of Malik because of his work in Mr. Robot. I mean, I think he's yeah. a really really talented person, and you know, really doing some chancy stuff. I think with what he's doing. And, oh, he's done so well at all of the other award shows. I mean, if you look at the at the building sounds, you know, of approval, he's he's won a lot of them. And Bale is the Bale is probably going to take it, but it's a close race between those two. I think just in terms of what previous award shows have told us, I think that he should have won for American Psycho. I think his performance in that was amazing. Oh, my God. Was that not? It was so good. I still, I just, I cannot see a piece of this queen or one of those rain yeah. things made out of clear plastic anymore. Yeah, you'll never listen to Huey Lewis in the news the same never, way again. Ever, no, it's ever, an astounding, and, and, you know, as a, as a, a woman-directed film, it's an astounding piece. I, I yeah. used it in a class last spring. It was a class in horror, gender, and identity. And it's just an astounding film. And there's a great conversation on the, uh, I have to say, uh, uh, questionable Charlie Rose show, questioning Charlie Rose, of course. But it was exactly. you know, between the director and then, and then the author of the American Psycho novel and Christian Bale. It was a really interesting conversation about the transformation of that story from uh, what had happened because it was such a, such a well-hated book by uh, activists yeah. and feminists and things like that and then yeah. the film just turns the whole thing inside out and then, of, mm -hmm. and then of course the author goes back and said yes that's how I meant it oh yeah Brett Easton Ellis yes. never never going to let a pop opportunity pass right. him by yeah that's for sure okay well what about the supporter supporter uh, man supporter woman yeah what's your what's your what, what's your what's your take on it supporter I think supporter man uh, everything I, I have to say I, I haven't seen can you ever forgive me but everything I've heard is that Richard E. Grant is brilliant. I've always thought he was a brilliant and under-recognized actor. Yeah, yeah, I would give it to him without a doubt, even though, again, I haven't seen Green Book, and I know, but I just, I guess I am of this mindset that says it's more than just the film itself, even though that's what we're giving the award for. You need to look at body of work. You need to look at the context in which these things have happened. And I would be so, I'll be perfectly happy. I thought... You know, Moonlight was the best film. Oh, my God, that was a great film. And he so deserved it for that. But I just, I don't know, I have some issues. Obviously, we all have issues with Green Book. I just, it's it's such a one of those films, you know. The I think in some places they're called uh, reconciliation, black reconciliation films, uh, or racial, racial reconciliation films. And also that trope of the dances with wolves uh, syndrome of the great, you know, the white savior guy who's making all the fix it moves in the problem. I, I don't know. The film just has. I think it's and it, and for that reason, it hasn't really interested me. And I'm I should be smacked because as somebody who styles herself a critic, albeit retired, I still need to see the film. But I've just kind of been 
resisting. What about you? Did you see it? I, I didn't, and and some of it was hesitation because of what uh, the the uh, family um, yeah. of the pianist said about the film that there was yeah. a certain level of fabrication going on in it. Well, but, and yeah, and again, the the shift of the balance in the film. You know, I think it allows you to walk out and feel good about the way things are going. But I think the family probably was absolutely right in saying, but you know, why does does the mouth or whatever his name is, uh, the Beagle Mortensen character, why does he get to be such a huge part of the reality? You know, the dad or the family member was out there, the pianist was out there working his ass off to find a way to survive, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. Well, I guess that's I, how you get from the lead actor man category to the supporting actor man category, right? Yes. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Because so, I, well, I think okay. the supporting so, categories can supporting actor woman. Supporting actor woman. Um, there, I mean, I, if Beale Street could talk, I think there's some yeah. amazing stuff in there. Both of the people who are in the favorite, I think, are really good because his films are so out there. Um, I'm. I just yeah. can't wait for people to go back and watch uh, watch Dogtooth. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I would definitely, I'm totally happy with Regina King in mm -hmm. If Beale Street Could Talk. She's great. I loved, loved, loved The Favorite. I love The Lobster. I thought that, uh, I think that that is just hysterical stuff, and it's so smart, and, um, so, yeah. You I, see, somebody I else also who's doing some of his own grammar, I mean, he's sort of got his own way of exactly. telling stories that stick out. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, I I'd be happy with with that with either one of those. But um, oh God, I don't know. I, I and I love Olivia Coleman. Now we're back to uh, best actor who's a woman. I, I mean, that was that was a brilliant performance. That was better than either of the two supporting. Mm -hmm. I think um, it was a brilliant performance, and she's been honored. You know, she's gotten the BAFTA. Uh, she's gotten so many awards that at least it's not going to be too horrifying when uh, she doesn't win because I think Glenn Close is going to win. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, well let's move into let's move into the the, the big category of that. And what about Best Picture? What's your? I I, I think Roma's going to take it. Mm -hmm. I do, and I'm glad. I um, don't want A Star Is Born to win because I don't think it's the best picture. I would love to see. Black Panther win because I think that is a great film. I loved that film. Uh, don't care about Bohemian Rhapsody one way or another. Don't care about A Star Is Born. Don't care about Green Book. So, and Vice, while it's good and clever, I like Adam McKay and I loved The Big Short. But I guess I don't really want it. I want Roma to win, I, and I think it probably will. Breaking that ninety-one year, ninety-one year, um, no. Film not in English ever won Best Picture. What do you think? Right, I I would go along. I mean, it, that that seems like the inside track. I think it's what I what I see when I look at all of the films that are nominated. Is there's a really interesting, complicated set of politics that isn't really easy to read among all these films. Uh, well, yeah. with a couple of exceptions, I don't think A Star Is Born is necessarily very political. But I think that there are there's some really complex, interesting. Uh, politics going on, and even in Bohemian Rhapsody, with its reputation of having, you know, kind of soft pedaled uh, the identity issues a little bit, it's right. still, you know, it's still there. It's still an important part of the story. 
Well, the favorites look at women and power is so brilliant. That's why it is absolutely excellent. And, and you know, I'd argue that even in The Lobster, you're looking at women and power as well. You know, I mean, a lot of exploration, uh, interrogation of that. And I love, I mean, Black Panther and Black Klansman. And we can say without doing any spoilers that the last five minutes of Black Klansman are absolutely knee-weakening to jelly, painful, amazing to see. And mm-hmm. such a surprise, you know? Yeah. I mean, such a surprise. It's as big a surprise as I see dead people was a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or the crying game. Uh-huh. So Six Sense and Crying Game for me, because I did not know when I saw those two films what was going to happen at the end. So, I, you know, I, I wish for people the pleasure of that because it was just oh my god you know in all three of those yeah. uh, and black Klansmen, i had no idea what was coming um planet of the apes <laughs> there's another one uh yeah. Catherine, it, it was earth all along okay just all right good just you wanted to it. wanted to ruin that for you okay so last last question for you okay all right so uh Catherine becomes the god of the academy what would you change in the Academy Awards? Like, if you could oh. do something to change it, what would you change? You know, I guess I would... I, I'm a big believer in the quota system. I, I taught women in leadership, uh, in media leadership, for many years and wrote a lot of, uh, I think, very good uh, scholarly uh, articles, peer-reviewed articles about that idea, and taught it as part of a State Department grant in uh, Nepal, Bangladesh, and with students from Pakistan, I never went to Pakistan, but I, I just would do something about making, cracking that nut and getting real people in there. You have to figure out a way to make the people making the decisions um, uh, representative. And you also have to, I mean, I love the inclusion writer concept, you know, which is a kind of quota approach, right? Get more people in there because that's going to change everything. And it's not until you do that that anything real is going to change in terms of who wins. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the you think that progress has been made on that though? And I'm certainly not a believer in you know progress narratives, but it does seem like this hasn't faded away as I was afraid it was going to when some of these ideas were first brought up over the course of the Me Too movement and the Times Up movement and things like that. Yeah, I think progress has been made. But when you look at that report, Catherine Bigelow, first woman ever to win director, right? 2010. It's now 91 years and only five women have ever been nominated for the director award. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's that's not what I would call humongous. And, and you know, so this year is a step backward, right? Yeah. I mean, a step backward. Um, but I'm looking for, I mean, again, next year, as I, as I said, three female directors are doing cartoon films. The Eternals, Black Widow, and Mulan's remake. Those are all female directors. And Captain Marvel is going to be co-directed by a woman. Mm-hmm. Anna Bowden, who's, whom I don't know, and Ryan... Fletch, or I don't know his name, but anyway, yeah. So, um, I, 
I think the, the changes are so slow in coming that I think it we I wish we had some sort of revolutionary behavior like a quota, like saying, you know, crack it open, get more people in there. You have to have a certain number of the people on your film. We're not going to sign if the, the, the big names say we're not going to sign on unless we know that there is inclusion. I mean, what else can you do? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm waiting. I think, yeah, I know, but I mean, I think the idea of making it a priority and addressing it on a consistent basis makes an enormous amount of difference. Um, yeah, it's the only thing you can do. I mean, it's like, do you wake up every morning on time? No, you get woke only if somebody sets an alarm clock. Mm -hmm. Good point. I like that. Okay, well, thank you for uh, spending this time talking about what will be uh, coming up shortly. We'll, we'll see uh, how some of these predictions work out, and uh, the um, hope, hopefully we'll get, can get everybody to pay more attention to documentary, which is close to both of our hearts. So, Amen, brother. Um, yeah. So, uh, anyway, thank and you, Catherine. Appreciate you taking it. the yeah, time. Yeah, it was a great time. Great thank time. you, and thanks for listening to Media and the End of the World. <laughs> <laughs>